0: You're tuned to Radio BWC, and this is 6 O'Clock Swill. Welcome to the 6 O'Clock Swill, your sparkling guide to national and international news poured straight from the tap with a minimum of froth. Coming up later, Tarmac Huggers bring London traffic to a standstill, Kamala Harris and the fake school kids scandal, and singer-songwriter and Senate candidate Jacinta Rice joins us from Alex Springs. But first...
1: Net zero by 2050, blah, blah, blah.
0: Net zero by 2050, blah, 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 Glasgow, blah, blah, blah. Tim, uh, how's Glasgow shaping up?
2: Well, it's... uh... It's going to be attended by Scott Morrison. He's uh, caved in. He's uh, he's going to uh, drop by Glasgow, you know, one month before winter hits. It's not going to be that nice in Glasgow. And I was going to
3: say, in fact, if, 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 if you're going to find a local population who probably want the world to warm up a bit, I would say that the population around Glasgow, they're, they're probably all pretty solidly behind global warming. Yeah.
2: I don't think they'd mind a bit of warmth, especially no, around it's... about now. Uh, yeah. But they'll be... They'll be enjoying um, the company of, obviously, the Prime Minister. Uh, Malcolm Turnbull's going, which is just great. And um, Xi Jinping isn't. So we'll have two senior representatives plus the usual delegation from Australia, which contributes about 1.16% of global warming gases. And the head goon in China, which produces about 27%, the world's largest emitter, isn't going. And you can just bet there's not going to be anywhere near as much pressure on him to attend as there was in Australia for Morrison to attend. Apparently, it's a big deal to go to something like this and uh, and say a lot of pointless things.
0: So, so uh, essentially, Glasgow has been rat fucked by the Chinese. To use that <laughs> memorable phrase from uh, I I wouldn't usually use that kind of language, but seeing as how a former prime minister used it, I think I can get away with it. How how stupid were we though to say you know give China a leave pass until twenty thirty and
2: um... yeah China's the only developing nation on the earth that's able to land objects on you know the moon and Mars and so mm. on it's uh, they kind of they swing between developing and advanced depending on uh, what they're talking about at the time that uh, the particular government mm. it's it is going to be absurd but I, I do like the idea that it's in Glasgow where um, You really don't want to mess with the locals or have any kind of misunderstanding with them, because just uh, just uh, I'd advise listeners to look up the Wikipedia page that lists Glasgow's gangs, because there are so many of them, it has to be divided up first into regions like northwest, west, east, and so on of Glasgow, and then when you call those up, there's subcategories like there's about a dozen in certain dozen gangs in just one suburb, so if if someone you know, let's say someone who's maybe a little tactless has a couple of drinks, wants to engage with the locals on issues, um, issues that uh, this person might think is pertinent. You might find a few people coming back with um, with uh, interesting stories. Let's say.
3: I think uh, I think um, you're absolutely right. The kind of the the, uh, the the reputation that Glasgow had is they've tried to gentrify it, but it still very much has that kind of DNA. And um, I was thinking that, you know, I know we're going to get on to talk about these Insulate Britain protests. But if those guys went up to Glasgow and wanted to get on the news by stopping stopping some of the traffic from the airport for that conference, uh, I think the guys who get out of the vans and the trucks <laughs> in Glasgow, uh, they, they, may, they may not content themselves with, 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 with uh, suggesting that they move to the side of the road or even helping them a little bit manually. I suspect it'll be rather more uh, televisual than that. I
2: would. Wonder- I would pay damn good money to see that, Simon. That would be. A, that's a reality TV on TV show I'm tuning into as soon as it goes. I to I wonder
0: work. what plans they've made to help you know visitors with the language barrier there the, the, the Glasgow accent is uh, so strong you could build a bridge with it and it would outlast civilization I think um <laughs> it, it, it is a real problem the the uh, the Glasgow accent of course and, and the and the words they use I don't know maybe they're going to be doing sign language always at these
2: important Perhaps events that, that, you get that.
0: the sign language don't you in the corner of the screen What
2: well, they're they're kind of big on sign language in Glasgow as well, except it's uh, it's indicated with a glass of beer and it's coming right at your at your forehead.
3: I, I, I wondered why why they don't persuade you know why the Amish community doesn't represent itself there. Of all the communities in the world, the Amish are probably the best credentialed. You know they don't use petrol, they don't they don't fly anywhere. It would be good to have an Amish voice, I think. we you know, at, 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 in an Glasgow. An Amish voice Well, Simon, Simon. Yeah.
2: Just, just on Amish issues, California has announced that it's going Amish. California, which you know you might be aware has one or two problems at the moment—homelessness, massive debt, everyone sane is fleeing the state for Texas. Well, they've just announced they're going to be banning from 2024 uh, uh, petrol-powered lawnmowers and leaf blowers.
3: Well, I'm all in favour of the of the banning of the leaf blowers because I mean, it's a it's a pain of my life, but um. Yeah, well, great. It's wonderful. Finally, the Amish we were all worried about them disappearing as a cultural, uh, you know, uh, phenomenon that's going kind to of wiped off the map by uh, low budget uh, cable TV shows. Uh, maybe, they, they, maybe there's a chance for them to come back big time. Well, they, they maybe, can.
2: They can take over California now. They, can, uh, they yeah. can. They can all move from I think Pennsylvania and uh, and so on, and they can move into empty, squalid, homeless, filthy, drug addicted California. It's a perfect match. Hmm.
3: And also, also, as as as, one—they've uh, got the other outstanding credential to be on the left. They've got absolutely no sense of humour. So, so,
2: <laughs> so <they're laughs> there's no big book of Amish jokes, you know. So, so to head
0: and so to head south from Glasgow to London and the Dartford Tunnel, which I know well—a terrible tunnel on the M25. The protesters are out in force there. The pancake protesters, I think they're known as, um, but, but you'll be able to explain why. That's
2: what I'm calling them. Yeah, I'm calling. Them, well, they should be pancakes. <laughs> why? Why?
3: Why? Why pancakes? Why pancakes? That's
2: going to be their physical form after a few lorries run over them. Um, <laughs> these are these are protest This is a spin-off group of Extinction Rebellion, who people might be aware of the uh, the radical climate group, and um, they've got a. Sp- you know, because the left will always split and factionalize. It's just what they do. And so we've got a spin-off group now called Insulate Britain. And their big deal is putting insulation in houses. Not generally something that you get your knickers in a twist about, but they get they get really upset about the lack of insulation. And to bring this to public awareness, they block streets with their bodies, as you do. It's, it's entirely logical that if you want people to insulate their houses, you would block the streets and um,
0: makes perfect sense to me oh no it's just logical it's no. like
2: you know if, if you're upset about low wages in Mozambique you paint your car white <laughs> you know it's just a it's not, a sensible not white thing to, to do not white no. possibly not but you know maybe it's an ironic comment but <laughs> um, but yeah they they block streets and people have taken to because, you know, police largely do nothing. It's a similar situation in Australia. People have taken to getting out of their vehicles and manually dragging these... Most of them are retirees, dragging these retirees off to the side of the road and then merrily driving past.
0: I, I'm interested in Simon's comments on this, because he's the advertising man, but I, I think they've kind of gone the wrong way in terms of branding. I mean, Extinction Rebellion to... Into like Britain, I mean, it's pretty weaker. It's a, it's I suppose it's maybe it's marital, a tad it's, it's stronger than the Tidiest Town competition, but <laughs> it, it, it's
3: it's it's not a it's it's not a name that it's not a name that has any obvious aspirate emotion or aspiration. You know, it it does actually for most British people, it just it just reminds them of the need to put something in the loft. You That's know, right. Uh, to, but but uh, but but I think it's. I mean the, the the quote from the leader. The leader is a guy called Liam Norton, and um, he's a spoke. He's an official spokesman. His his quote was, I think it was in the Guardian. He said, "In 10 years' time, when fuel crises are catastrophic, when the foods run out, when people are experiencing unsurvivable heat waves, what would you be wishing you'd done now? We think you'll be wishing you'd sat on the road with insulate Britain doing <laughs> doing, doing, doing whatever it took to protect current and future generations." Now I don't know about you guys, but he lost me at in ten years' time. <laughs> I mean, this is this is this is the this is the last in a very long line of celebrity doom merchant statements. You know, we we uh, going back to Al Gore, Prince Charles has said it a few times, and obviously most recently Saint Greta. Mm. But it, but it goes back even further. You know, this thing about warning, you know, warning, you know, it's the it's the cry wolf thing on a on a huge ongoing scale in 1968. One of the most, world's most extensive, distinguished scientists, Paul Ehrlich, predicted that hundreds of millions of people would starve to death in the 1970s. And then, in 1917, the Club of Rome said, "You know, gold, mercury, petrol, lead, copper, gas—they'll all run out in the 1990s." Right. Jimmy Carter said oil and, uh, said oil and gas will run out. None of it happened in the, in the next ten years. And and um, the big problem these people have got is they they set the the rapture. Mm. They, they They yeah, always yeah. sense. They should. They should give it twenty or thirty years. It might have a bit more yeah. credibility. But because we, because these these deadly deadlines keep coming again and again, and nothing it's happens. has been going.
2: It's a long way though, isn't it, mate? From um, you know, panicking about mass starvation events down to home insulation. Mm. Mm. Well, exactly. The,
0: the, the, the Jehovah's Witnesses is the only people that got this right. You know, they were predicting way back in the nineteenth century when they first started up. There was going to be some tremendous global calamity. In 1914, I mean, how lucky were they? World War One. <laughs> but let's go back to the pancake people, the pancake people, yes. the pancake protesters, uh, and, and let's just work through the logic we, of what's we happening be- here. Are they actually going to? Con- you, you turn everybody's days to shit by lying in front yep. of lorries and stopping. You know, a pregnant woman yep. wants to get hospital. Yep. No, wait, lady. The climate is more important. Uh, Mm. To what extent do we think they're actually going to win over the general public with this argument? and no, It's the real purpose just to demonstrate their own virtue.
3: But, you, but you're, you're obviously right. That you're not going to get people on side by ruining their day. But it's a long... It's a, it's a very well-established and very British tradition that was started by, you know, Emily Pankhurst.
0: The first pancake protester. But, but it was before the car really took off, so she had to use horsepower.
3: You know, if you really... <laughs> She, she became Emily Pancake, you're right. <laughs> um, but it's But, but got, if they're going to do it, though, like we've seen this street thing in the last 20 years, you know, it's gone from the Gilets Jaunes took to the streets and then now now this lot are lying down on them. They've got to go the full Emily Pankhurst, I guess, now to make it really good to after to, the next stage will be they're jumping in front of, something jumping in front of the truck. oh or... no
2: they, they could go down the path of uh there was a, a chap in new york a few years ago a climate activist who um became so obsessed and, and upset by the whole climate issue that he set himself on fire in a park he burned himself to death but i thought it was a bit it was a bit wrong of him to use fossil fuels to do it <laughs> you know it would have taken a bit longer if he would tried to kill himself with solar power he would, he'd still be there just Gently singeing away. He-
0: no, 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 no. Tim wasn't petrol, It was Grand Marnier. He was the crep Suzette protester. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Haven't they? are they going to? Somebody, somebody must be doing the math on this right now, working out uh, what's the total CO two emissions caused by all the delegates coming from wherever they're coming. Uh, you know, to what extent is that setting back the cause?
2: Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, every every single time people do a calculation on that for these uh, ridiculous festivals, and it's um it's always gigantic. Of course, I mean you've got so many jets coming in, celebrities with their private jets coming in. It's a mass extinction event, as well. It's, it
0: it's the utter it's the utter selfishness of this whole pancake protest that gets me. Britain, as we know, is in a fuel crisis. They don't have enough energy. Yep. Kids, adults are being aged to run round. The park to keep warm, so they don't have to turn the heating up so much. And mm-hmm. these people just sit there, getting numb toes, numb fingers, and then, no doubt, go home, turn up the heater, and thaw themselves out. You know what? An old style protest would actually move somewhere. You know, they'd actually burn some energy. What's going
3: on here? But, but, but they've also they've also it's impoverishing our um, our debate about these issues because you know when there was a when there was a divisive issue uh, um, and you wanted to remain neutral until you had all the facts you used to be able to say well listen I'm I'm in the middle of the road on this one you can't say that anymore
2: <laughs> when you are literally in the middle of the road <laughs> yes yeah, so,
3: because that, the, being, be, being in the middle of the road is now an extreme position
1: <laughs> <laughs> well look
0: in more in more blah 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 news. Um, I was interested in reading Green Left Weekly. Action on climate means ending the blah, blah, blah. You've been in newspapers a long time, Tim. Was that, was that a mistake? I mean, was that one of those headlines the subs put up, you know, just while they edit the copy and then don't come back to fix
2: afterwards? Well, obviously, they're referencing directly Greta Thunberg's, you know, uh, incredibly articulate speech. But it does read like, dummy copy in newspapers and um, some of us have worked in newspapers where dummy headlines have accidentally been published. Mm. And it, the terrible thing about when you write a headline that's not intended for publication you just put it there while you think of something better, is that it always fits perfectly. So if you write headlines with obscenities in them and slurs and insults, they always fit absolutely <laughs> micro-perfect. But there's a famous unintentional headline that ran in 1980 in the Boston Globe uh, was over an editorial about then-president Jimmy Carter. And the headline, again, not intended for publication, but it ran, More Mush from the Wimp. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) that ran in about (laughs) 160,000 copies before someone realised what the hell they'd done and they put some generic headline on it like, you know, President speaks on urgent issue or whatever, but um, decades later, well maybe twelve years later, the Boston Globe had a story about organizers of the of the Iditarod dog sled race who had caved in to demands from animal rights activists, and they were able to use that headline again with a slight change. They ran "More Wimp from the Mush." <laughs>
0: Yeah, Very I wasn't good. altogether. Very I mean, the, the Green Left Weekly, of course, was not happy about this whole thing. They wrote, the capitalist establishment, political, media and corporate, that must include us, I'm sure, has spent years debating whether or not Australia should have a 2050 climate target. It's an irrelevant debate. It's like sitting in the cockpit of an airplane in danger of crashing and debating whether the next year next year's pilot training course should begin in June or July. It's a sense of emergency, isn't it? It seems to justify it all. Um I, and and people go out, you know, to to get that warm inner glow. I just wonder what what would drive the panel to go out. Uh, uh, to, what what issue is so burning that you would have to be morally impelled to take yourself out and sit on the tarmac?
3: Leaf blowers. <laughs> <laughs> I have participated. If was, if if, if, the, if there was a leaf blowers party. Uh, I promise you, in the next North Sydney elections, I will—they uh, get my vote.
2: I have I have participated in numerous uh, uh, street protests. For example, if I want to go to a shop on the other side of that street, I will cross it. So temporarily, I guess I'm occupying the zone that that uh, our protesters are occupying. I, I don't make a big show of dance a song and dance about it. I just. You know, I guess, is that, am I counting myself as an activist if I push the button that, that causes a red light? <laughs> I am, I'm stopping traffic, guys. I really mean, I mean, my cause of getting to that McDonald's is so crucial to me that I will cross the street and, if need be, temporarily halt traffic. You would be entirely there.
0: justified, Tim, entirely justified. Yeah,
2: lying in the sand. All right. Well, I-
3: what? Uh, at some point, at some point, someone's going to write a joke that starts with. Why did the chicken sit down in the middle of the road? <laughs> because it's stupid and now it's dead. <laughs> Net zero by
2: 2050.
1: Blah, blah, blah. Net zero. Blah, blah, blah. Climate neutral. Blah, blah, blah.
0: On to Kamala, Kamala Harris. Now, this was interesting in the week. There was a, a... yeah. They always want to claim a scandal, don't they? The latest scandal is that Kamala Harris... ...had organised this uh, event to teach people about space, and she put a video together, and they were, um, the big scandal was these were not real school kids, they were, they were actors, and actresses, have, let's just have a listen to the kids and see, because I'd like to know if anybody would really be taken in by this and think they were, in any way, real kids...
1: Hi, I'm Emily, and I'm from West Windsor, New Jersey. Hi, I'm Derek, and I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. Hi, my name is Zorielle, and I'm from Lafayette, Louisiana. Hi, my name is Trevor, and I'm from Monterey, California. Hi, I'm Sydney, and I'm from Iowa City, Iowa.
2: Please hold for a transmission from the International Space Station. (laughs) Look,
0: (laughs) it's a sort of Brady Bunch on Zoom, isn't it? I mean, seriously, (laughs) did anybody think they were... and does it matter? Because everything is so fake now in the news. that...
3: Well, she's 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 the she's the queen of fake, Kamala. She's, I mean, the, the, is there is there a more fake laugh uh, anywhere? Has there ever been a more a disingenuous laugh than Kamala Harris's? Mm.
2: It is appalling. Um, but I like uh, I like how the kids maintained their extremely high level of excitement, even though they they were hearing the most boring things in the world from Kamala Harris. Like at one point. Kamala said as though she was talking by the way to you know six-year-olds these kids are in their teens and she said you're going to see the craters of the moon with your own eyes <laughs> and the kids were like you know they didn't really get on top of it they were like wow but like, <laughs> like who, who can't who can't see the craters on the moon you just look at the damn thing ever since people invented eyeballs we have been able to see them it's a good
0: point about the eyeballs. I mean, has anybody ever seen anything except through their own eyes? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just a, but yeah, I mean, you're right. They're excited. I mean, okay, at least in our in our day, back in our day, you know, we had the moon landing. At least the moon landing was real. We think
2: yeah, probably. Well, <laughs> so they would. So they would have us believe, Nick.
0: But this woman uh, seems likely to be the next president of the United States, if. Um, if the dementia it's, it's, it's very scary.
3: Um, it's, but that you get a sense that you get a sense that the White House is not keen for that to happen. Uh, they have not. She's been. Deliberately, I reckon she's being deliberately withheld from a lot of events. You know, she made that kind of a reluctant final trip to the southern borders. And didn't get uh, there. And didn't really get yeah. there properly, uh, and 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 they haven't tried to reprise that with anything. And I, I'm wondering whether there are other plans afoot because surely they must have. You know, they must have looked at the ratings and the and and the way she's been. I can't believe she's being well received. In fact, we know she's not being well received mm. by the public. They must have some kind of plan B. I don't know what it is.
2: Well, she wasn't well received in the in the primaries. She dropped out very early. No, she was on about three uh, percent or something. So she was a very unusual choice as running uh, mate.
3: Absolutely. Well, did yeah. you see Greg um, Sheridan's
0: piece at the weekend? My good friend Greg Sheridan, who I admire a lot, but he's he's given to sort of some brazen predictions sometimes. He, his piece opened with the board statement, the next president of the United States will be Donald Trump. That's the way he reads it. But then I do recall about two days before the 2016 election, he said the next president of the United States will be Hillary Clinton. You can book your house on it. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to call, though. Adam- <laughs>
2: I th- I, this far out, it's massively hard to call, and uh, so we this, won't hold although, to
0: it. We won't, you
2: know. No, I think it's one of those things where you, you can throw it out there, and if you're right, you can point to it and say, "Look, I was the first But if, it, well, but you, if it's I'll not, t- if it doesn't happen, you can always say, "Well, you know, come on, it was back t- in 2021." That's one. called
0: a Rowan that? Dean. That's known as I the, the Rowan say, Dean. <laughs> I,
3: I was, I was going to say, it's whatever, it, whatever else it'll, it'll achieve, it'll get him an invitation onto outsiders. <laughs> yeah, for that's sure. right.
0: Well, it's a great pleasure to welcome to the podcast Jacinta Price from Alice Springs. Jacinta, welcome to uh, The Six O'Clock Wheel.
4: Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: We are all in favour here of an Aboriginal voice to Parliament.
2: As long as it's Jacinta's. As long as it's
0: Jacinta's. You are are standing for the Senate, of course, in the next election. And uh, look, it couldn't be a moment too soon. We need much, much more common sense there. And you will bring plenty, I'm sure... What is the thing we're trying to solve when it comes to Indigenous people? Are we going to do it by having a symbolic thing like a voice to parliament? Do we do it by putting the Aboriginal flag up on Sydney Harbour Bridge? Or is there something more than that? What do we need to do? What do we, what do we got to fix?
4: Well, no, no and no. Symbolism doesn't work. It doesn't actively address the issues that we're confronted with. The sorts of things we need to be able to do is reduce welfare dependency amongst Indigenous Australians. And I think for me specifically, I want to try to, um, I guess, bring more of the most vulnerable Aboriginal people into the fold and make them part of the fabric of this nation like everybody else, like what was going on Uh, In our nation, um, I guess previous to things like the equal pay decision, the introduction of welfare, uh, you know, if we want to see socialism in action in our our nation, you you just go to a remote community in the Northern Territory. So some of these communities, I think, need to be opened up, need to be treated like um, small country towns, if you like. We're governed by the Land Rights Act that needs to change so that aboriginal people can create economic opportunities in their on from their own country uh, have things like butchers and bakers and uh, mechanics and that sort of thing and create their own jobs and their own opportunities in communities and get away from welfare dependency. So, you know, there's some of the realistic things that we need to be looking at doing instead of saying, oh, we need a voice to parliament, which um, we have voices in parliament. You know, there are Indigenous voices in parliament mm. and if things aren't changing, well, then I guess the parties or the people electing these voices to parliament need to reassess who they choose to to elect into parliament. Because that's how democracy works. Uh, It's the one that we have is healthy, but clearly those voices haven't been doing the right thing. Hence why we're still faced with what we're faced with.
2: Jacinta, I can't remember who um, first said this, but uh, it's a great line. It's something along the lines of take any group of people anywhere on earth from any background at all and put them on welfare for two and a half, three generations and they're gone. That's it, and mm. there's no racial component to that kind of dependency no. at all. No, um, it's human, human nature. Just yeah, but just in terms of mm. generations, Jacinta. Just some background to yourself. You're from mm. a politically alert family. Mm. How did your how did you come to your position as a conservative uh, within uh, within your community?
4: Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, the um, racial stereotype is that I should belong to Labor and I should belong to the left because I'm an Aboriginal mm. woman. <laughs> um, and, in fact, it was... Talk about
2: stereotyping, yeah. St-
4: stereotype, and I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. seeing that amongst, you know, the, the, the gay and lesbian community as well. My nephew is both Indigenous and conservative and gay. Um, mm. and, there, and he there's says a lot it's of big- to come out...
0: A lot of victimisation points there, but they'd be, you know, they'd be nullified by the fact that he's conservative, wouldn't
2: he? <laughs> That's absolutely, it, yeah. a,
4: a, exactly. And and like he said, he said it's it's a lot easier to come out as um, gay these days than it is to be a conservative and a black <laughs> conservative. Um, <laughs> and um, but but so yeah, look for for me and my circumstances and my family circumstances. I think for. Quite some time, um, you know, obviously my mother was um, a minister in the former country Liberal Party Giles government mm. and um, f- she was sort of, she felt the reason why she decided to become a conservative and because prior to that, you know, we, we as a family were, I guess, a Labor, with were, were, you know, default Labor sort of mm. family. Mum's original parents were both teachers, um, you know, dad moved to Yundamu during the 70s and had all these wonderful ideas of how it's was going to save the world and, uh, you know, soon realises that the romanticism of it all wore off and the reality of it set in. And as a family, we worked for – we've been working ever since um, the late 90s uh, as cultural educators. Uh, we had our own family business, uh, cross-cultural consultancy, and for us it was about – Um, creating understanding in workplaces, particularly throughout, you know, regional, remote Northern Territory, anywhere where there was a lot of engagement with Indigenous Australians, particularly Indigenous Australians who were still language speakers and held culture and all that sort of thing. And it was about creating understanding so people could do their jobs properly. And we're always very straight down the line and honest. And um, a lot of what we talked about was also came from um, our own personal lives, and my parents trying to figure each other out, and keep a marriage together, and um, <laughs> understand well, well, why do Aboriginal, why, why do you mob do this, and, mo- and you know, Mum's mob would be like, well, why do you white fellas behave this way, sort of thing. So it was about creating that understanding, and coming from that background and that and that level of understanding and knowing that right there's some really wonderful things that we can do together to improve our lives to improve our workplaces to just get the job done practically and seeing how you know the narrative was being played out in terms of indigenous issues um and how government was handling those issues was always like no 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 they everyone's getting it terribly wrong we need to do something about this and Uh, So, And Mum had been, prior to her standing um, in the Territory election, she'd been appointed uh, as the chairperson of the Indigenous Advisory Committee to the Henderson government. And so it was then um, Marion Scrimger, who was the Deputy Chief Minister at the time, Tiwi woman, who appointed Mum to that position. And Mum very quickly felt quite frustrated because she felt like that the government wasn't actually listening to what the committee had to say. And she felt very much like they were a token committee so that the Henderson government could be seen as doing the right thing and be seen, you know, perceived as listening to Indigenous um, Territorians. And her frustration, um, she found herself then having conversations being able to have proper conversations with conservatives understanding that you could debate issues you might not agree on everything but you had that space to be able to discuss those issues and the country liberal party approached her uh, to see if she wanted to um, nominate for pre-selection and she she grabbed she grabbed the opportunity with both hands and uh, it was funny because i remember my my myself and my dad kind of you know we we're a bit concerned we're like because mum's actually a really, she's a really nice person. She's a big-hearted, <laughs> kind person.
2: Mm, That's true. Yes. And
4: and and you know she can be she can be loyal to a fault sometimes. You know sometimes you have to go. This person's having you on, mum. You need to you know you need mm. to be wary of this. So we thought <laughs> politics can be quite dirty mm. and um, full on. And and did she really want to do this? And she said no. I, I'm doing this. And we said yeah, no, nah, she'll be right. We thought you know what she's if you can deal with aboriginal politics you can deal with any politics good call. And she's, she's withstood that over the years so that's what um that's why she chose to stand in that position so she could actually be in a position to get things done that she knew needed to be done on the ground on, at a grassroots level um with those connections right across the northern territory because, you know, you're related to everybody in the Northern Territory and you're an Aboriginal person. No matter what mm. language group you come from, you've got family everywhere. Mm. Um, and so that's, that's um, you know, that's what sort of pushed our family to become quite staunch conservatives now. And for me, I was certainly, I was always very much known for being a vocal individual uh, online, publicly. Mm. I've had a, a sort of... A, career and being on stage um, artistically, musically and all those sorts of things. So I'm not shy from being in front of an, an audience, but I was encouraged to um, to stand for the council elections back in, well, there was a by-election in 2015 and given I had been quite vocal about a lot of the issues we face on social media, I said, yeah, all right, I'll, I'll give it a go. And the wonderful thing was mum was the Minister for Local Government at the time. So I was sworn in by my own mother onto council. Cool. Mm. And, um, yeah, and I guess everything else is history. It's just been a natural progression to um, to head, you know, head for federal parliament to, to really... That's where I really want to make a difference because I feel like, um, you know... The, the crux of it all for me is to create that understanding, is to continue to do that work because we can't begin to address these issues if there's not some level of real understanding as to um, what they're all about. Yeah.
0: Yeah, you, you mentioned your show business career there and, and I didn't want to bring it up, but you did. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> tell us <laughs> Tell us about Yamba's Playtime and Yamba the Honey Ant.
4: <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, well, I guess back in uh, oh geez, this was um, 2010, I think 2009. I started working for um, I at the time I was a single mum. I was um, also studying, and I had um, uh, I'd been approached to apply for to be the the TV host, television host for the TV program Yamba's Playtime on Impaja Television. Uh, and given that you know I've been a singer songwriter for many years um, you know it, it felt natural to go into a job that um, certainly I, I had my kids were young at the time so uh, that age group of of, of kids I, I could get along with quite well um, and um, to script write and to perform songs and be part of something creative and fun and educational uh, as well as provide you know healthy living messages to um, particularly uh, you know for all kids but you know Yamba is seen as a bit of a, a celebrity amongst um, young indigenous kids in remote communities so it was um, it was uh, I love I love that role mm. and uh, I was there for yeah, quite some time I think I was there for about. Well, seven years before I started my own production company and took Yamba with me, we had a we had a Jerry Maguire moment where I was like, Show me Yamba's like, show me the money. I'm like, come on, Yamba, let's get out of here and start our own production company. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and we had a touring musical that we we um, performed for kids right around all around Queensland, like up to the Torres Strait, um, throughout the Cape, uh down in Mornington Island, through down to Roma, Quilpie, Charleville, St George, um, throughout parts of um, regional New South Wales as well, Dubbo, Walgett, um, uh, yeah, like well. everywhere, and 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 also South Australia and the Territory. So. That was. Um, they were fun times. They were. They were fun times. Well, it, um, if, being able yeah, to perform. Yeah. And <laughs> if
0: anybody wants to know how fun they are, you just have to Google Yamba <laughs> and just price, <enterprise laughs> and up it'll come. I, I think Yamba broke up the Beatles, didn't she? Wasn't that <laughs>
1: cool?
3: Yes, it
0: would be a, a, an ant. There, it's all insects, isn't it? Ants, <laughs> Beatles. Uh,
3: Simon. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm going to stop the fun right there. Um, I wanted to go back to. Uh, <laughs> I just wanted to go back to something you when you, if, uh, uh, you when you talked about uh, symbolism before and um, and I, I just to give you a little bit of background on me is that, uh, you know, I, I was I came back from 10 years overseas about six or seven years ago. And I, I work in the advertising industry. And I, one of the very first things I was asked to do was to write an advertising campaign for the organization. Recognize and you know i didn't know much about it but it seemed like a very worthwhile cause and and i and i i did ma- i made some ads that were very well received and so on but then it was only afterwards that i began to wonder whether was this an example of the kind of symbolism that you're talking about that whilst it was in principle it was well motivated but it actually was a way of dodging some of the practical issues that you and people like you were grappling with on the ground and that it was Kind of maybe mm. symptomatic of the disconnect that's occurred between the actual people living in remote communities and the, the people who claim claim to be representing their interests in inner city and often not Aboriginal people. What do you, is that? Is that fair?
4: Oh, that's absolutely fair. I think it's it's definitely one of those issues. While you know it's it's well meaning, but it's certainly. It certainly captures everyone's attention. Uh, you know, there's it, it appears as though there's this energy being invested into improving the lives of Indigenous Australians. So therefore, everyone feels good about the idea that there's something going on um, to address the issues. When actually, it's not particularly addressing any issues specifically. <laughs> and and it's a bit like the Uluru statement has taken over from the Recognise campaign. Uh, you know, it's 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 another one of those things. The the um, the Uluru Statement, to me, is this lovely sort of wishy-washy statement that was, hey, it was put together by by white lawyers, you know. It was <laughs> this idea that it's supposed to come from Indigenous Australians and, you know, they gathered together a group of select, you know, Indigenous Australians to say, well, we held this big, huge meeting and, I mean, really, you know... <laughs> The, the idea is that you can come up with these 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 grand acts of symbolism and that they're supported by Indigenous Australians well really they're not they're not elected individuals they're not uh, elected and you know like I'm consistently being told that I don't represent all Indigenous Australians and I'm 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 saying well I'm, I don't you know purport to you know Mm. represent Mm. all indigenous australians but neither should anybody else and neither should one white person stand up and say they're talking for the whole of white australia like it's just a ridiculous notion
2: simon does that all the time
0: (laughs) 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 because what what, i mean what happens is of course they're not representative it's the it's the noisy voices and and it seems to me Mm. it's no different from the political divide in the rest of the country on almost everything. It's a division between mm. the articulate, noisy ones who've gone to university and have got all sorts of fancy yeah. ideas and, mm. the, and the ordinary practical people with a common sense point of view who just get on with their lives. And, and it seems to me that's mm. what's happened, that, that those, you know, uh, the forgotten people, if you like, the forgotten Indigenous people have been drowned mm. out by some quite fortunate and quite intelligent people. Um, Aboriginal people who had the benefit of going to university and you know live in North Melbourne, you know that, that's that's yes. that's it, isn't it? Am I, am I oversimplifying? Mm.
4: That's right. No, that's that's certainly the case, and um and that's and that's another big reason why myself and my mother wanted to push because we could see how the as I mentioned earlier, the narrative is controlled by elite, the elite basically, the elites of Aboriginal Australia and those, you know. Who, who have come from, you know, like the Stolen Generation, which is the story that we've not, well, we've not heard the entire story of the Stolen Generation, but many mm. members of the Stolen Generation have have become some of the most successful Indigenous Australians in, in the nation. They they hold the positions, the high-ranking positions in Aboriginal organisations and they control the narrative uh, when it comes to Indigenous issues. So for those who who, you know, weren't, part of the stolen generation are those who still have their language, who still, you know, live some by some traditional culture, but they are amongst the most marginalized Australian people mm. and their voices are never heard. Uh, and, you know, it's difficult for media to talk to them because of the fact that English is a third language to them and they're not media savvy. They don't know how to take advantage of the media to get their voices heard. So they're the reasons why myself and my mother chose to stand up. I mean, my ma- my mother's very lucky in that she was of the generation, that last generation that had an education because of the influence of the missionaries. And although English was a third, fourth language to her, she had a good enough education that she could become a minister of the crown. But there are so many um, Indigenous Australians who are nothing but Indigenous um, going about just surviving and they, they are left out um, quite often because it, it are those, it's those who are descendants um, of who want to control the narrative and who want to, you know, have the spotlight and who want to push um, identity politics mm. and all those yeah. issues. Yeah, so uh, true.
2: Mm.
1: So Absolutely.
4: Just, yeah, and who so, push so, for so the symbolism, yeah.
2: So Sid. I just wanted to, <clears throat> another a point of cultural distinction that you would bring to the parliament is Australians living in very remote areas. Mm. A lot of people who live on the coasts, any of the coastal cities, big towns, have very little idea of just how distinct and different the territory is, Alice Springs in particular. Mm. I mean, you know, I've been there a couple of times. I love it. I Mm. saw the rumpy band, which was great. Um, (laughs) But it's it's an unusual place when a car with 200,000 kilometres on it is considered low mileage. (laughs)
4: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that, that That's exactly right. And those are the sorts of things that those who hold the narrative don't want us to recognise. Yes. Um, is, is, are those vast differences? Is that, you know, for many of those who are of Indigenous descent, they, they can a lot of the time be, you know, hardly distinguishable from the next Australian, you know, in their neighborhood Mm. that that walks beside them. But there's huge distinctions between, you know, bush mob and the rest of the country. I mean, there are distinctions in terms of family in the bush, and then you know, there's those of us like me who live, um, you know, in, in the towns, uh, more you know, urban Indigenous Australians. Um, and, and then, then of course, there are those who in who live in cities, and like I said, uh, are not different at all linguistically, culturally, from um, you know their neighbour who's non-Indigenous. Mm. And I think that that's where we go wrong in this country. That's where you know, particularly when. You know, in the census, a box can be ticked, and funding is allocated and distributed based on whoever's ticking a box, uh, which skews that need for funding. And I and I believe that when it comes to addressing Indigenous disadvantage, that um, it, it, there's either one one of two things we need to do. One, we need to we need to support those who are actually in need, not those like myself and my kids. Who mm. um you know who can have opportunities thrown at my kids can have opportunities thrown at them because they you know they have me as their mum and and they have you know an indigenous grandmother um but they're all right they don't need that extra support whereas whereas there are kids in this country who are non-indigenous who need the same sort of support that's available to kids like my kids but they don't get yeah. it because they they're, they're not indigenous so-, so we either need to provide support on the basis mm. of the need and remove the race from it entirely. Or if we're going to talk about Indigenous Australians, then let's focus on those whose first language is not English, who are still, you know, who can say, "I this is the language I speak at home before English. Um, because I think you'd find then that they are the, those who are amongst the most, you know, marginalised.
0: This week, um, Dan Andrews, one of our favourite premiers, as you know, on this show. <laughs> Dan announced a, a scheme to support first-time Home buyers, you know, he was going. They're going to underwrite your, you're basically the deposit if you, if you want to buy a home. Nice, okay, worthy scheme, and it's uh, I, I, I can't recall the exact rate, but it's X number of dollars for ordinary people or white people, and X plus if you indigenous, so you get more money. Mm. I, I don't begrudge people this because I know how hard it is to buy a house, but I just thought that just seems to be fundamentally unjust. You're just not treating everybody equally, in the same respect. I mean, mm. Am I wrong? Should should Indigenous people get a larger loan than non-Indigenous ones?
4: No, I, I, I don't. I, I don't. I don't. Again, it's that you know, trying to <coughs> create equality or trying to force. This idea—it's like—it's. I don't think we should be dividing Australians along the lines of race, mm. uh, and and as I said, there there are people out there who are non-Indigenous who are just as marginalised as some Indigenous Australians and who need the support to get by. Mm. And for me, when when people like Andrews um, cook up such schemes, it's a it's more about their virtue signalling than it is anything else, because they haven't put much thought behind it. It's, it's, you know, it's, it, it, it feels like just a, a quick sort of fix and a way to appear as though you care for Indigenous Australians, but um, at the expense of other Australians. And when I see things like that, I feel like it actually, it does more to create more division because uh, there are those who will certainly feel resentful at the fact that, well, hang on a second, why is this the case? Um, and, mm. and, you know, why is it? Why should why should I not get the same opportunity as someone else because of my heritage? Um, and and like I said, you know, like the vast majority of sort of Victorian Indigenous Australians are not that much different to the, you know, other Australians, mm. yeah. culturally, linguistically, that's for sure.
0: Well, one more piece of the news uh, from the news this week before we close. Um, I, I learned this week that the Rolling Stones have given up Brown sugar, and I thought, well, that's fair enough. We're all watching the carbs these days. Uh, but Tim, Tim, you tell me, it's, it's not that I've got it wrong somewhere.
2: <laughs> yes, they've uh, they've self-canceled a song they've been playing for 50 years what? because people have have worked out after hearing that song one million times, they've worked out that it's about slavery. It took them a while, but they they got around to it, and now the Rolling Stones, who are touring at the moment. Uh, with a new drummer replacing Charlie Watts, of course, they're touring and they've uh, they've kicked it off their song list because they anticipate getting in trouble, as Keith Richards said, getting in trouble with the sisters. <laughs> wow. So this is one of the all-time great rock songs. It's why you buy a ticket to a Rolling Stones show. And no, they've uh, they've bailed. It's gone off the list mm.
4: what? what do you
2: think of what yeah, exactly i think uh with that one word response just i think you've summed up all our
3: reactions
4: <laughs> that's utterly ridiculous i mean pretty sure my husband refers to me as his brown sugar and there's nothing
3: wrong with that <laughs> right. hold on hold on right. so again. <laughs> i think it, i think i think it was i think it was originally supposed to be a euphemism for heroin wasn't it um, so, which is arguably more offensive? Uh, there's a whole, there's a whole bunch of stuff. There's a whole bunch of stuff in that song. Sorry,
4: can yeah. I, can well, I, can that's could, it. You could make it what you wanted, really. I mean, it's up to the listener, isn't it? <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, I would think so. Yeah, and I think it was written. Um, Mick Jagger, Mick Jagger had a black girlfriend at the time, or something, or whatever it might have been. Um, a, a tribute to her, but apparently he wrote the song in forty-five minutes. I mean, I've read a description of him writing it, and you know, someone witnessed him writing this song. And he said, "I've never seen anything like it." He was writing as fast as his hand could move. He, he filled like four or five pages of a of a notebook, and then they recorded it.
0: Wow! If we if we had a bigger budget than we did, probably about fifteen, <laughs> we could play out on brown sugar. But the royalties, you know, extortion. <laughs> so fortunately, we do have a singer songwriter on the play on the show. Would you like to sing us out? <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> wow, put up being put on the spot like that I don't, that's a bit I, oh mean, no, okay that, that, that is a bit mean i mean you, you know next time at least you know give me some warning and then i can have a couple of lines oh. i can well i,
0: I think given <laughs> that you're about to go into to a career in politics and things can come back to haunt you we probably won't push this any further but it's been an absolute pleasure to have oh, you on the show i'll
4: tell you what i will give a yep. shout out because yep. my, my husband, who's still still a singer-songwriter, Colin Lilly, has just launched his new single called The War today. So look Fantastic. out. Will he Colin let it, Lilly, will he let war. us?
0: If he let us play it royalty-free, we will. <laughs> 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 best, all the best to Colin uh, with that and it's great to have you on, here I hope we can somehow persuade you to come back on at some future moment. <laughs>
4: I reckon you might have to twist marks. <laughs> Thank
0: <laughs> you. On the more serious matters, there are some serious matters to discuss this week and I think that the The High Court decision over Dr. Peter Ridd, for people who are not familiar, uh, Peter Ridd was a, uh, he is a scientist. He's a real scientist, a diminishing breed at our universities. He was challenging some of the conventional wisdom over climate change and various things related to that, and a result of which he was sacked from his university, James Cook University in Townsville, appealed the judgment, went all the way to the High Court, backed by uh, those courageous people at the IPA, And uh, Stuart Wood QC, great man. But it lost, it lost. So this is, it's confirmation, isn't it? That the universities are closed, essentially closed to not just a conservative thinkers, but by anybody who thinks outside the square, which is a pity because I think that's the only way we ever advance human knowledge.
3: Absolutely. I mean, the judgment was actually, it's kind of curiously ambivalent because yes, they um, they found against him the court found against him but at the same time they made it clear in their in their judgment that he sort of they sort of made noises about protecting his right to free speech and so on and it was so they made it quite clear it's a technicality which i which i suppose some conservatives would take heart from
2: well there was a lot of sort of side issues involving you know some sort of requirement that he maintain a collegiate sort of correspondence with his academic fellows and so on which i I didn't get why that was uh, so crucial mm. in, uh, mm. at any level of the case. Mm.
3: But, I, but I, I tried to capture that ambivalence in this week's limerick. Okay. Um, you know, and I didn't want to be judgmental. I just wanted to speak at an observational one. Peter Ridd is a much maligned dude who, when fired, <laughs> unsuccessfully sued. All the stuff that he taught may be true, said the court, but the way that he taught it was rude. <laughs>
0: Very good. Sorry. I think that's the best of the month. <laughs> best of the month so far. <laughs> um, but look, here's the question before we move on: a serious question here. So universities seem to want to shut their doors to conservative thinkers. Should we care? I mean, the the universities are uh, the business model is broken. You know, they're they're neither good business managers nor you know reliable curators of human knowledge. They've dumbed down. They've they made these horrible viruses in the lab like critical race theory and they've escaped from the lab yeah. and they were all infecting uh, the whole community. Uh, Wouldn't it be best just sealing off the whole place and starting again?
3: Well, well it's a bit it's a it's a bit like the it's a bit like uh, if, if you ever listen to that, that kind of very um, outspoken conservative in the UK, Peter Hitchens, and he's a, he's an absolute died-in-the-war conservative, but he wants to his his his, his his one ambition in life now is is to get the conservative party closed down there because he feels that they have devalued the currency of it to such an extent that as you just said about universities mm. it they, they need to they need to 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 end it and and start it again from scratch because mm. it doesn't it doesn't do justice and a lot of people feel that about you know academia not just in australia but in a lot of western cultures that they, that what the campus was 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 supposed to be about the values it was supposed to um, cherish
0: Yeah,
2: uh, uh,
3: uh, have now been abandoned. Uh, uh,
0: Peter Hitchens, I've got a great respect for him, but I think he's, um, his problem with this argument is that it, conservatives don't knock things down and start again, do they? That's what revolutionaries on the streets of Paris do.
3: Well, that's right, yeah. But I think he's, he's just gone beyond hope that, that, that the restoration could occur. He, he is extreme now. Mm. He's a bit of a loony, but there you go.
0: But I'm not suggesting we l- shut l- down the universe. I just... Suggest that we start up our own centres of learning. I mean, the the Blair Cater Collins Academy, for instance. Why not? Should we give it a go? Well, <laughs> well, absolutely.
3: We could be we could be like a summer school for the Western for Western civilization. Yeah. I've got a
2: line here from um, a friend of mine in the US, Dave Birch, who we really should have on the show one day. But he has a great observation about how the left operates when it goes into universities and other formally respected institutions. Step one identify a respected institution step two kill it step three <laughs> step three gut it <laughs> step four wear its carcass as a skin suit while demanding respect <laughs> that's basically it isn't it it's what they do to to krill news krill
0: um you surprised me you explain to me what, what why are we talking about krill at this stage in the podcast? well
3: they were th- Well, there's there's a couple of reasons. I think we're about one and a half weeks into a three-week conference in Hobart at the moment. And the Hobart conference is a 26-nation get-together of of, of countries. It's the 26-nation Commission for the Conservation of Antarctic Marine Living Resources. That's a bit of a Mm. mouthful. Uh, and, and, And what they're discussing is a bit of a mouthful because they're discussing, should the current catch limits on krill be raised now you know Having watched plenty of david attenborough documentaries over the years i know what krill are krill are those almost you know microscopically small Mm. crustacea that that as far as i was aware they're just eaten by whales yeah Uh, and and in fact apparently your self-respecting blue whale won't touch anything except krill but there's Mm. other you know other 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 whales and, and and anyway but it turns out that the there's now increasingly a market, a human consumption market for krill, and I was one. and And it turns out that uh, one of the uh, things that's, that's sparked interest is that China, our old friends China, have recently they're in they're about to they're, they're in the middle of constructing three new super trawlers, uh, which are, each one is over 120 meters long, and their factory their factory ships, and all they're designed to do is hoover up billions and billions of krill in the antarctic and they kind of i suppose they must uh, uh strain it like the way a, a blue whale does yeah the krill is no longer just for you know animal feeding things it's it's a fut- it's i think i think it's going to be a superfood of the future it's high in protein low in fat relatively clean but well, what are the fashion?
2: whales meant to eat then if we're taking all their krill whales them. uh Wow, they're, who they're, cares?
0: They're, I mean, yeah, look, they're, they're all I a the, little bit porky, aren't they, the whales? I mean, I think they could do
2: that. <laughs> well, that'll, well maybe, that'll lower the oceans.
0: <laughs> <you know? laughs>
3: maybe, it's, maybe, maybe it's because nations like China and Japan, they can no longer harvest whales wholesale. Mm. So let's, So let's harvest what the whales eat. Well, you what know. about
2: what, what, what's, the, what's the measure of a krill dish? Though? Well, I mean, you funny know, you should say you tip, that. You, you typically <laughs> eat a dozen oysters, for example. What's the krill equivalent? You can't eat. It's, it's a billion. seven
0: figures. I'm not sure. But, look, I mean, I, I, funny you should say that because yeah. I did Google this and I've come up.
2: What do you, yeah, what's the
0: well, number? I, let me get there. I've come up with 1,349 <laughs> easy and tasty krill recipes. <laughs> oh,
3: my God. Maybe we should be harvesting them as well. We should have. Let's throw another krill on the grill, you know. But it Ooh. wouldn't be a krill. It'd be let's throw a <laughs> let's throw a milk another milk krill on the grill. <laughs> Otherwise, you won't be able to see <laughs> them.
0: Look, I'm sure we'll, now, we'll return to krill in future episodes, and probably <laughs> if you do I
3: want to eat some. Uh, yeah.
0: But we did, we did, uh, we did foreshadow last week. We'll be coming back to the Bard to Shakespeare. So for the occasion, I got out of the, this is a a mug that my wife bought in new york and it's produced by the unemployed philosophers guild and it's a shakespearean insult market. it is fantastic it's covered in insults thou lump of foul deformity <laughs> highly fed and lowly taught you'll like this one tim all eyes and no sight i think that describes most people on the abc
2: that also describes krill
0: <laughs> he had all the infections well- that the sun sucks up <laughs>
2: <laughs> he must have been a nice bloke to hang around with With that sort of, uh, that level of wit You know, I, I know that very little is actually known Of Shakespeare's personal life But anyone capable of getting some lines out like that You wouldn't mind having a jug of mead with him, for example would Be great
0: <laughs> I do desire we may be better strangers <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs> But it's you know you, that that thing about having a, a glass of mead with him would have been very hard because he wasn't allowed in any 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 pubs in in the uh, in the in London. Why not? You know why? Well, he was the bard.
2: <laughs> 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 Sorry, mate, you bard. Well, yeah. I feel I feel this
0: podcast is is is. Uh... Decided to draw itself to a clear close at that point, um, but I should note that we, we 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 said at the start of this, guys, we were going to do a, a trial run of six podcasts. This is number seven. Yeah.
2: Oh well, we've, we've done well. It's a it's a, an extended trial.
0: Extended trial. Should we carry we- on the trial again next week?
2: Absolutely, we'll beat OJ Simpson at this rate. This <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Six
0: O'Clock Swirl with Tim Blair, Simon College, Dick Cato, and our special guest, Jacinda Price. And we'll be back next week, I would imagine, for another podcast. Excellent. See you guys.
1: One, two, three, four, get my shoes and out the door. Five, I'm alive. Six, seven, eight, feeling great. Nine, gonna shine, life is good. I'm doing fine, ten, gonna do it right and do it again, yeah. I look into the sky with all the beautiful colour, but there's more than just for me, so gonna share it with another. I got to show, to give, let out, I want to sing and shout, take a look and see. A beautiful morning that turns into a beautiful evening, and together make a beautiful life. And if you wanna see, then come along with me. That's right. And if you want a good tomorrow, it's pretty simple. Gotta find the light to follow. And if you do, you have a future real bright. And it's a combination of consistency. Come on and sing. Oh 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 oh. oh. Be me like I want a million dollars, like I hit to pay dirt Kind of smile from ear to ear, the kind that makes your face hurt And we'll laugh, jump, sing loud, not afraid to shout about Being happy, living it out, take a look and see A beautiful morning, that turns into a beautiful evening And together make a beautiful life And if you wanna see, then come along with me, that's right And if you want a good tomorrow, it's pretty simple Got a find life to follow And if you do, you have to get your real bright And it's a combination of consistency, come on and sing